We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Chasing Hardware, the podcast that sits down with the sports figures you grew up with and hears their stories. Welcome to Chasing Hardware. I'm your host, Rich Lamello. My guest today was an all-conference lineman for Bear Bryant at Alabama. He was only 30 years old when he became the head coach at Clemson, and in his first game, his Tigers squared off against Ohio State and Woody Hayes, and they won. He would go on to beat teams coached by Joe Paterno, Tom Osborne, Barry Switzer, Bobby Bowden, and many others. And in 1981, Clemson won the undisputed national title with an Orange Bowl victory over Nebraska. He was only 33 at the time and is still the youngest national champion in college football history. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Chasing Hardware, Mr. Danny Ford. Danny, welcome. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Danny. Well, thank you. Um, we have, have a lot to get through, and I know you've got to get back out to the fields and do some bailings. So yeah. I'll jump yeah, I got to go cut. Got to go cut some hay. It's awful hot down here, and 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 I'm right outside of Clemson, eight miles from the campus. And anyway, I'm glad to be with you. And uh, yeah, I've got some hay. I got to finish cutting before this. Uh, it is too late in the afternoon. Sure thing. Sure thing. Well, we'll get right into it. Then you're you're, okay. born, you're born and raised and go to high school in Gadsden, Alabama. Um, mm-hmm. you're, you're an all-state end, and you ultimately choose to go to Alabama. Tell me a little bit about growing up in Gadsden and and how you you know kind of chose to go to Alabama and play for Coach Bryant. Well, uh, our little town was was a booming town back in uh, the nineteen. 19- 50s, 60s. We had a Goodyear plant. We had a steel plant. We, we, uh, most everybody worked in those two plants. And and the main thing we had was a was a great, great youth pro youth program. We had uh, we had good high school ball. We had good middle school ball, and and, and we had good good pee wee ball and had a little league baseball and everything else. Uh, Football, basketball, all of it, and and, and our, the nickname of our town was the City of Champions, and and I really truly still believe that today, it, even though it's hit on some hard times, and we're down to probably thirty-five or forty thousand people down there now, when it used to be back, you know, over sixty back when I was growing up, and but it was a great place to grow up. You had a you had a lot of recreation, you had a lot of ball fields, you. Yeah, you know, you could you could get on your bicycle and ride anywhere and not worry about any kind of crime or anything else and you uh not worrying about somebody picking on you young kid. You just you just had fun, went out and played. Go uh worst thing we'd do is go steal some plums off a plum tree or something like that. <laughs> and uh, go go to ba- go to baseball practice or or something like that. But it was a great place to grow up. We had a great recreational league and 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 i which i worked uh, with them growing up uh uh and during high school time uh, i was trying to coach a, a little league team a, a bunch of project kids and uh we never won a, a baseball game in two years so I, that showed you what kind of coach i was back then 
<laughs> and was the dream always to go play for Coach Bryant, or were you considering other schools too? Oh uh, well, I had a very fortunate. I had a I had a, a, a lot of schools I could have went and played, and I, and I played basketball also. And I, I had some basketball offers too, but uh, you know, academically, it was a challenge to me. Georgia Tech came by and looked at the transcript, and that didn't last long. And and then uh, uh, you know I liked Auburn, I liked uh, Kentucky in basketball, I liked the University of Tennessee. Doug Dickey was there then. I liked Mississippi State of all places because of Charlie Shire was there and doing a good job back then. And and uh, it was just it, it basically came down to just like most young kids back in and our age group uh, uh, growing up, folks. Uh, uh, what they did at Alabama is, is uh, we had the blue law, which I don't know if people are familiar with the blue law now. Back then, on Sunday you couldn't even, you couldn't buy anything. Grocery stores were closed. Uh, the uh, drug stores were closed. You couldn't buy diapers. You couldn't buy milk. You couldn't buy anything. You you, you go to church and you uh, go uh, have a Sunday dinner, and then you. Your mom and dad take a nap, and you watch football a little while, and, and uh, then at uh, shoot at four o'clock, uh, Coach Sherg Jordan's show came on at Auburn, and at five o'clock, Coach Bryant's show came on at Alabama for an hour, and then last it came on at six o'clock, and that's what you did every Sunday when growing up. So you knew you were going to play uh, football in the state of Alabama. If you grew up in Alabama back then, it was a very loyal state. So you you were going to need to go to Auburn and Alabama. Turning point with me was uh, we had three kids, four kids, uh, or not kids, but uh, I say that now they're a year older than I am, and I'm 75, but they're 76 now. But they uh, that signed with uh, Alabama the year before I left. They were high school teammates, and I was a year behind them, and and we were all close and. That probably was the whole turning point. Not that Coach Bryant was there because, you know, you, you, you like Coach Jordan as well as you like Coach Bryant back then. He, he had won a national championship at Auburn, and uh, and Auburn was good. And, and uh, you know, it was just uh, not a whole lot of difference in the two schools. It's just whether you grew up being an Alabama fan or an Auburn fan. And, and basically, I wish I remember a guy – from Auburn, uh, uh, one of their alumni carried me to a football game of Alabama and Auburn in my junior year. We were sitting in upper deck in Legion Field, and and, and I was cheering for Alabama. He said, "You boy, you cheered for the wrong team." <laughs> and he was, and I never will forget that. But he, uh, I guess I've been an Alabama fan for a long, long time. Sure. And and you go and you're ultimately an offensive lineman and you're all conference mm. a couple of years. You started off as a tight end and your quarterback was Ken Stabler. Tell me, you were the second right. receiver as a sophomore. Tell me a little bit about the snake. Well, the reason I was the second lead receiver is because Dennis Holman, who was, uh, was a great wide receiver that followed Ray Perkins. And the people up there remember Ray Perkins from uh, the, the Giants and all the, the pro teams up there. But he... Uh, uh, Holman was from the, the Caters or, or uh, up in North Alabama, tri-states, and and anyway, he he uh, he had like 58 or 68 catches, and I was second with 10, and all everybody else had nine, so I can claim the second lead receiver, but I only had one about above everybody else because everybody else had nine, I didn't have a 10. But, Stabler kind of uh, liked Holman a lot and threw the Holman a lot, but Kenny Stabler was the number one draft pick of, of a major a minor, a major league uh, baseball team coming out of high school out of, out of Foley, Alabama. And even though he was two or three years older than I was at the time, uh, uh, everybody knew him as a quarterback at, at Alabama because uh, he started there, as, I think, as a, as a sophomore. Coach Bryant uh, kind of dismissed him one year and he played baseball the, that spring and he came back the fall. And good player, good. Uh, my roommate back then, freshman, couldn't play. And uh, they, we all had big brothers. They called big brothers. And what you would do is you'd 
shine their shoes and wash their cars and do all that during during the week or weekends. And 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 when they went out of town to play, uh, they would leave you their car. And, and my roommate was Saber's little brother, so I, I saw Kenny quite a bit as even as a freshman coming to see my roommate uh, and and taking care of him. And we all had had big brothers, of course, but for somehow Saber uh, chose him and. Uh, he he enjoyed being his little brother. That's cool. And so, great, great, great player though. And Saber was a great player, great option quarterback too. People don't remember, but he was sure. a great option quarterback, down the line option quarterback, left-handed, uh, could throw the devil out of it. Nah, funny guy. Like to have a good time. Like to be around people. Uh, enjoyed people. People's person. Uh, I could see where he was a great leader for Oakland uh, so many years and an outstanding pro quarterback. Everybody loves Staber. Sure. And then you, you wrap up your years at Alabama, and do, were, were you was there a shot of going pro? Because I know you became an assistant at Alabama as an no, offensive line coach no. a few years later. Um, no, no, not really. Uh, uh, you, you know, there was just back then – we we were not a big football team at all. If if you were in nineteen sixty five, six and seven and eight and nine, I I went sixty seven, eight and nine was my three years. Freshman year was sixty six. But if you were two hundred twenty five, two hundred thirty pounds, you were really really a big man. If you're sure. six three or six four, you were God, you were a giant. So I was a hundred ninety five pound offensive lineman, and when the pro people came around looking at film, they didn't. They didn't have any room on their squad for a 195-pound offensive lineman when you were going to be playing uh, uh, playing against two 280, 200, 300-pound linemen, you know, defensive players up in the pros. So, no, I played as long as I could play that my ability would allow me to play. I ran out of time and, and ability, and uh, the next closest thing was coaching and Thanks to Pat Dye, uh, who was a very dear friend of mine and coached at Auburn for a lot of years while I'm in East Carolina and all, play, all kind of places. But he was linebacker coach for Coach Bryant, and and uh, uh, he and I became real close. And he 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 talked me into to asking Coach Bryant to to be a graduate assistant. The the you know the Vietnam War was going on and. And back then, and it was if you wasn't in school, and you know you you would get a draft number. My draft number just so happened to be high, and I probably would not have got drafted anyway. But uh, I, I I stayed and got my master's in special education because everybody that uh, I couldn't get in PE and I couldn't get in, in business or any other uh, master's degree because everybody that that had low uh, draft numbers tried to tried to stay in school and get, get a school department. So that was uh, that was how I got in special ed. Probably the best thing I ever did because uh, I learned a whole lot about those uh, handicapped young kids. I was in uh, special ed uh, preschool age kids, and then I had a great kid that I worked through. That uh, was probably five years old, and you just had to do everything for him. But it was a great experience. He loved football, and all he wanted to do is play football every day of, of his life. And he, and made me realize that all these big old tough kids that when they get pop a fingernail off or, or get cleats stood on their hand or something, uh, break a little bone or something like that, they think it's the end of the world. They, you know, just. <laughs> complain and gripe and everything else. And this kid had open heart surgery and uh, and couldn't do anything crippled and, and everything else. And in the mind of probably a two-year-old kid and, and uh, always smiled, never had a bad day. So I think that helped me in, in trying to understand people and sure. understand athletics because this kid had it harder than most people and never complained. And these kids were given scholarships and, and they thought we always outworked them. I mean, overworked them too hard. And all I could keep thinking about was my little two-year-old buddy Bart, you know, and didn't have a change in life to, to live a whole life. And uh, 
But that that was just uh, that was that was a good major for me. I mean, uh, for a master's degree, uh, I never used it other than uh, 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 getting my degree. I never taught. Sure. And and so you you leave Alabama. You follow Jimmy Sharp, uh, mm-hmm. uh, who was an assistant at Alabama. Also, he goes to Virginia Tech. You're an assistant mm-hmm. there for two years, and then one of their assistants, Charlie Pell, goes to Clemson, and you uh, go with Charlie. And then, uh, like two years later, he leaves to go to Florida, and All it's right. on the eve of the Gator Bowl between Clemson and Ohio State. I alluded to it in the open. Uh, you're 30 years old, and you're going to be coaching in a bowl game against Woody Hayes. I- I'd love to kind of you know get your thoughts on that, but also uh-huh. clearly this is one of the more infamous college football games in that it basically ended Coach Hayes's career because he punched. Your uh, your uh, Charlie Bauman of Clemson Bauman, picked yeah. off a ball. So I'm curious, right. like, well, the, it, it's not it, it, it well, it is it wasn't ideally the best situation to start your coaching career over national TV against uh, somebody that was as good a football coach and reputation and a legend at Ohio State as Woody Hayes. I I, I certainly didn't want want to do that. Sure. The year before, uh, Jackie Sherrill was at Pitt, and Clemson had not been to a bowl game, and I think we were like ten and two or ten and one, I maybe, uh, and uh, on Coach Pale, and uh, we played uh, we, we played Gator Bowl, and we we played Pitt, and they beat the devil out of us. And it's first time Clemson had been to a bowl game in, in, for a long, long time. So the next year, no, the next year we were 10 and 1. We were probably 8 and 4 that year, the first year. And then the second year with Coach Pell, we were 10 and 1 or 9 and 2, something like that. And, and uh, he leaves and goes to Florida, and uh, I have been getting a job. And, and uh, the real con- the real deal was that. He was coming back to coach the uh, Clemson Gator Bowl against Ohio State, and I was going to take over after the after the, the Gator Bowl. Uh, in the meantime, he went and he spoke in Jacksonville, or uh, after he had told the Clemson people, I think that he wasn't going to go to Florida. Then he and he went down there and took the job, and he was at a quarterback club meeting that he was had already scheduled down there. They had a picture of him holding up a gator banner, and it made the, the, all the people at Clemson mad. Mm-hmm. And they said they didn't they didn't really want him to coach the, the bowl game, and wanted to know if, if I would do it. And I told them I, I really just want to do it, <laughs> but uh, they said, "Well, if you want a job, you better do it." So I I did it, <laughs> and it uh, we were fortunate enough. I was just an offensive line coach in that game. Really, I didn't. No decisions had to be made, hardly, except uh, after the fact that uh, uh, Coach uh, Hayes hit hit one of our players and, and all the drama that followed all that. And our guys did a great job of not saying anything, and I didn't even know about, nothing about it until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and when the newspaper people were coming by the hotel and wanting to know about what we thought about all this and that, and uh, it was just an unfortunate situation. A great, great coach, great man. He did, he did call me one Sunday night later on, and in, in, in January, February in, of that year, and uh, and uh, asked if he could speak with Coach uh, with uh, Charlie Bowman, and and I and I, you know, gave gave him Charlie's number, so. He, he did. He did. I don't. I, I guess he. I guess he talked to him. I never asked Charlie that. And, and, but I gave him the number, and, and, and he did call to, to see if it would be not, uh, all right to talk with him. And it certainly was all right with me if, if Charlie wanted to talk to him. And then uh, in the summer of that year, uh, we always had a coaches clinic at, at, in Columbia, South Carolina, and they invited the, the South Carolina high school. Association invited Coach Hayes to be the guest speaker. Did a great job in a standing room only crowd. Got a standing <laughs> ovation. And uh, just, uh, it was just when the high school coaches uh, started 
having mustaches and beards. Used to, uh, you know, if you were coach, you, you know, you just kind of like you're a player. You, you had a clean, clean face and and no hair over your cop ears and stuff like that. And collar that was always our rule. No facial hair at Alabama. So you know, that's that's how most coaches were were raised back then. And and uh, well, he got all over. He had, we had a few in the audience that. That that had started growing a beard or, or having a mustache, and he got all over those guys about saying they couldn't be a football coach and have have that. But he, the the the, the South Carolina coaches welcomed him with, with open arms. He was just uh, he was just he just told you what he thought. You know, he was just plain old told you what he thought. And uh, excellent, excellent uh, football coach. Sure, and and so so you win that game. So then, so now you're 30 years old. Now you're named head coach, and so then I, I was I was already the head coach, of, and, and, and I couldn't have got fired the first game. I don't think, but I was sure concerned about it playing the Ohio State. <laughs> um, and you've got you've, you've you've got some some serious talent on your team. You've got Perry Tuttle at receiver, and Jim uh-huh. Spankies and J- Jeff Bryan on the D line. Your first mm-hmm. four years as a coach, you guys go eight and four. And I'm curious, you're you know this is like a great era for college football. You guys played Baylor with Mike Singletary at linebacker, and South Carolina with George Rogers, who would win the Heisman in 1980. Tell me a little bit about you know, kind of seeing those two guys. Well, George, George at South Carolina, George Rogers, yeah, he's a friend of mine today. And you know, when I first came to Clemson uh, as an assistant coach from Virginia Tech, but one of the first places I went was. Uh, or they sent me to recruit a guy was was in uh, Duluth, Georgia, and that is uh, really it's uh, uh, on the Clemson side of Atlanta. But back then it was in the country, and that's where George uh, now it's right like a, this part of Atlanta. But uh, back then it was back in the country a little bit, and and, uh, and I went down there to, to check on a running back, and his name was George Rogers, and. Uh, the coach who uh, was had I met that day and had remained a friend of mine forever was, was Cecil, and Cecil told me he said uh, you know yeah he can play and he's good but there's no sense watching film because he's already committed to Jim Jim Carlin at South Carolina, and uh, and really truly really, when he told me that I didn't even talk to him I left but later on. I ran, I ran into Georgia uh, many times, and we we've been together signing autographs at different places uh, uh, throughout the years since that time. He's, he's really a fine, fine man, and and really a good, good person, and, and really a great. He was a great running back. Uh, the thing that uh, I, we would always kid him, and the Clemson people would always claim uh, uh, kid him about would tell him that. Uh, you know, well, you never scored against Clemson. And he said, yeah, that's right, but I got a lot of yards in between them end zones. <laughs> and he <laughs> did, too. He, he ran up and down the field. And the year that we beat him, uh, uh, let's see, what year was that? That was that – was, 79. I'm trying to orange, – orange pants games. Uh, oh, we brought the orange pants out. And, and uh, Willie Underwood, a defensive back from Fort Payne, who we recruited? I mean, who uh, we recruited from Fort Payne because we got a one of the boys that went with me to Alabama and was coaching down there, and he he called us when we we first came to Clemson and said, "I got a guy down here that can play, and nobody as much as recruiting him." So we went down there, Joe Kynes and I went down there, and and, and we couldn't find anything wrong with him, and and, and watched films, and he he did well on film. So we offered him a scholarship, or Coach Pell offered him a scholarship, and. He happened to intercept uh, two passes that day and score, and we won the football game when they were really a we were a big underdog. And if if they had not thrown those two passes, if they would have handed the ball to George Rogers, he would probably got a thousand yard, yards over that day because we couldn't stop him. Uh, sure, and uh, and he would have scored for sure, but uh, they for some reason they threw those two outcuts and their strong safety. Jumped underneath the outcut. It looked like uh, it looked like uh, when Auburn played Alabama, and we had had that punt, Bama punt game, and 
They had the same guy block the punt twice and bounce the same play, and the guy, same guy picked it up, and the same guy ran for a touchdown. It, it was just like two identical plays, both of them, and, and Willie's did too on the interceptions. But uh, anyway, he was a great player, and then uh, when we played in the uh, first year, we, we came in there and we played uh, Baylor. Uh, or, uh, uh, we had been to the Gator Bowl twice or three times in a row, and uh, we were going to play Notre Dame. And we were had a, we had a pretty good year that year, and and uh, uh, I called the Gator Bowl and asked them if we if we were to beat Notre Dame, could would they take us at the Gator Bowl again? And they said absolutely not. He said you've been here, you know, two or three years in a row, and uh, we want some different blood here, and we want different people to experience the Gator Bowl and see Jacksonville, Florida, and all this kind of thing, and. And I said, "What do you mean? If we beat Notre Dame, y'all won't even take us?" He said, "No." So we we went to the uh, Peach Bowl, and, and I, as I was walking out the door, the phone rang, and, and it was Grant Taft at Baylor, and, and Coach Taft said, uh, "Oh, no, we'll forget it. I was getting ready to get, leave and get on the plane and go to, to uh, Notre Dame." And he said, "This is this is Grant Taft, and I'm I'm a coach." At, Baylor, and we're a little old bitty Baptist school down here in the lower part of Texas, and outside on the other side of Austin, and well, you know we're just a little old bitty Baptist school. And he said if uh, the Atlanta uh, Bowl or the um, Peach Bowl said that if you will play us, they'll take us. And I said, well, I mean we got to play somebody. And I don't know anything about y'all. And and he said, oh, we're just a small school. And, well, he told a story, and he's supposed to be a good preacher guy, you know. But <laughs> he told the story that he had a he had a loaded football team. He he had a single tier linebacker. He had a running back that played for the Bears forever. He had a guy named Military at defense at the end that played with the Lions, and, and they had they had four or five uh, pro football players, and they were really really good. And plus, they had a they blocked a lot of punts that year, and they blocked one in their game that year too. But they had a kid that got paralyzed that game, and he his first game, his first time back out of the hospital, I think, and, and to see all the ex players, they brought him back to the Peach Bowl, which was a a great deal for them to do. And and, and but uh, he told me a little story because they had plenty of football players. We we put the film on when we got through and got back, and one of our coaches said, "Ooh, we done messed up." And I said, "Yeah, we done messed up. They got they a lot better football team. We wanted to play in a bowl game." Villanova 
because of them dropping the football. And uh, darn if they wasn't right even with us at halftime, and they was well, they were getting to wonder if Clemson didn't make a bad mistake or not, you know, mm-hmm. on, on our hire. And uh, anyway, we got through it. We won, and then uh, uh, the next week, I think we went to Tulane, and it was like a baseball score. It was like seven to five. At one time, I think we won thirteen to five or something like that. But it was three to two, then seven to five. And I mean, nobody was really, really good that that particular day. And, and either team, and, and but we we pulled it out. And then, then after that, we had Georgia at home, and they turned the ball over five times. And then Herschel doesn't get in the end zone either. We 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 keep him out of the end zone every time we played them or our defense did. And, uh, and that was that sort of kicked us off. And the, after that, we got we got better every 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 day. I mean, every every game, and 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 we improved a little bit, a little bit. We got better and better and better. By the time we played North Carolina, they were good with Lawrence Taylor, of course, and 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 all their good players. But uh, we were getting to be pretty good too. Uh, uh, one particular time we played North Carolina down here. I don't remember after '81 or the previous year of '80, uh, but we were playing North Carolina and they held us four times on the goal line. And Lawrence Taylor was a big, big to do in the, in that outfit of stopping us. And and uh, he was a great player from from the Beach area of Virginia. Well, Coach Bill Dooley made a living recruiting players out of there, and made North Carolina great teams. So they were they were, they got better and better, and uh, we happened to win the ball in ten to eight. So anyway, after that, we we get to Nebraska, probably the team that I grew up watching every Thanksgiving play in Oklahoma. You know, you get up, and, you know, they they seem like Oklahoma and, and uh, Nebraska would be playing every Thanksgiving for. For a major bowl game in the championship of their league, and Tom Osborne was uh, probably as nice of, of a man as I've ever met, and, and a really a great, great scholar and a football coach. He was, I think he was Doctor Doctor Osborne one time too. So, but he he had some really really good players. I mean, really really good running backs, quarterbacks, and always had big old tough offensive and defensive Nebraska. Corn fed big kids and and they were good and and uh, we had to get by them too and 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 by the end of, the, of that year we were the only one left standing I think that was that were undefeated and, and uh, we were I guess when we played them I think we were number two or three in the nation and, and somebody had to beat. Georgia or Pittsburgh. Somebody had to beat Pittsburgh, I guess, and Georgia beat Pittsburgh in the Sugar Bowl. Okay, State one or two, and, and it knocked them out, and we we bypassed them and ended up winning the thing. So it was quite a great experience. But, you know, you talk about a while ago, all the coaches that we played against and had some success against and the ones that had success against us. It was never the coaches. It was always the players. Uh we had really, really good players then, and, and uh, they could compete. We didn't know it. We didn't know they were that good. Uh, uh, we just knew that we were going to make them tougher. We were going to outwork people and all that. But, well, they had a lot of ability to go along with that, too, you know. Uh, yeah. But you have a tendency to, to downgrade your own people when you're with them every day, and you, you turn on the film of somebody else, and you, you watch it for a week, and you think they're all world, and really – your team might be better than them, but just because you don't see them every day, you, you kind of put them on a pedestal a little bit. But uh, we had we had really really good players, really tough kids, and uh, they love football. They, they love to play, and they 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 took their philosophy real well of, of having a great kicking game and great defense and winning on the offense and. In that order, and and uh, that's the way we approach it. And we, we always thought we could outwork people. They 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 come back now and they're fifty, sixty, seventy years old. No, no, not seventy yet, but uh, 
uh, we had a funeral. One of our assistant coaches died last week. Went was the funeral and then tied in there. He, I don't. When I was the offensive line coach, I, I don't believe I was four years older than he was. <laughs> we <laughs> sat together at the funeral, laughed, and cut up a little bit, and, and just talking about the old time. And he was a high school coach and did a great job. And he finally retired this year. But you know, they, they were all they all come back and like to talk about how hard they, how hard they had to work and all this. But it was good for them. All of them survived and. All of them turned out to be good men. I mean, I don't, I don't think that we, we have. Uh, I, I was going back, trying to look at some past teams, and I don't think that we had one, one or two kids that had some rough times after they left Clemson. Sure. And, and we were always proud, proud of that because the majority of them, and I don't really know why they had happened to have a rough time, but. A couple of them got into some trouble they shouldn't have got into. Well, Bobby Bowden, I, I was reading something from him talking about what a great recruiter you were, said that he's in the living room of a house talking to the recruit and the dad, and he knows he's got to go talk to the mom to help finish the deal. And he walks into the kitchen, and there you are helping the the, the mom washing the dishes. And he said, I have no chance of getting this kid, you know, Ford beat me. Yeah. And he walked out. Right. <laughs> Well, Coach, yeah, they were they were pretty doggone good recruiters at at, uh, at Florida State too, and, and Coach Bowden uh, was really a heck of a coach. He was an Alabama boy too, out of Birmingham. But uh, anyway, he he, uh, what we always believe, Coach Brian always said this. Uh, you know, you get the mama, and you gonna get the boy. I mean. Uh, if everything's even playing field, if if you got an ace, the mama's the ace uh, because those boys, those boys, they love their mama, and and uh, those girls, they love their daddy. But the girls don't play football, so uh, <laughs> the most important people we ever had to worry about was if we got if we got the mama on our side, we felt pretty doggone good uh, 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 about getting getting a kid. Uh, and we spent a lot of time with the mamas and and, uh, and the daddies too. But you know, we would would brag on all of them about how good a parents they were and how 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 they made their son a great football player and a great student and all this. And it was just kind of how you approach things back then. Sure. And and speaking of one who was actually a walk on, when when you left Clemson, you end up at Arkansas. And one guy who is a walk-on in 94, your second year there, ultimately gets a scholarship um, and then tragically dies right after he got drafted. And that's Brandon right. Roseworth, yeah. who's, who's the subject yeah. of him later. That's Tell a, me a little that's bit a about That's a great, great, great movie. Yeah. Well, really and truly, he, he, he had a one scholarship offered. I think that was Central Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, he, he was from... Uh, up around, um, he was from Arkansas, but he was from Branson, uh, right above Branson, below Branson, uh, Missouri, sure. and and, uh, and and it's up in the mountains, and it's really hilly across that two-lane highway, about about two hours, hour forty-five minutes from Fayetteville, and and uh, anyway, they there he was coached by Johnny Tice, who who was a great football coach in the state of Arkansas. And, and he came and and he would bring his team to the spring practice every every spring. They'd get on the school bus and ride over and and his team always would come there and practice. And we got to know him pretty well. And Harold Horton was there. Uh, he was the head coach and won an NCAA championship and at at, at uh, Central Arkansas when he was coach. He played at Arkansas, coached for Coach Brawls and all that. Uh, but uh, he was my administrative assistant, and uh, he he said that we really needed this boy one to be a, come to Arkansas. He always dreamed about playing in Arkansas and, and uh, all this kind of thing. And uh, well, you know, we didn't. It didn't cost us anything, and it was he was an Arkansas guy, and that's what we needed to do. To get the coaches behind us in the state, just take more Arkansas kids and and all this kind of thing, and and uh, so he came to our school, and and uh, Virgil Knight was her weight coach, and he did a really fine job. Uh, Burlsworth 
came as a heavy, heavy kid with a lot of baby fat on him and, and kind of soft looking kid. Uh, I mean, he just, he, he just, he, he just, he was just, you, you've seen these type of kids who would just hadn't better been out in the sun much. And a little, yeah. little, little heavy around his stomach and, and stuff. He looked a little soft, you know. And and and, and Virgil took him and and made him lose a lot of weight and just sort of rebuilt him. And uh, and what we didn't know about Brian is uh, he was such a dedicated person. He went in there and lost all that weight and rebuilt himself up. And he just outworked people and. He never in the movie. You'll see. I I have never seen the whole movie, but kids, the players used to. We we had a close group of offensive linemen, and, and that's why they got so good after after we left. That those five linemen had been there together since freshman and had gotten beat up a lot, but they finally grew up. A senior, their senior year, and they used to kid him a lot. He never had a a drink of liquor, a drink of beer, or nothing. And he was a church going person and and all of just a super, super good good kid, yes or no sir kid. And anyway, he, he turned out to be a great player and uh got drafted by uh the Baltimore Coats. Didn't sign a contract when he when he went up there, but uh he was they were working on getting signed and I think that from the story I heard that uh uh, Coach Nutt, who took over the program and did a great job at Arkansas, followed me, and they had won the championship, ACC, uh, SEC championship on that side, I think. And uh, anyway, they were going to give out rings uh, that night on a Wednesday night, and, and uh, I think Brian went over there early to get his championship ring because he wanted to go back home. Uh, to go to church with his mother that night, mm. and and that's how good a kid he was. He he would go back and not even wait to go to church on Sunday. He he went to prayer meeting on Wednesday night, I think. And and uh, uh, unfortunately, he 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 uh, he he hit a uh, big log truck. I think head on, and he had a little bitty car, and he filled it up pretty good. And, Anyway, they, I don't know if it was what happened in the record or anything, but they, uh, when I went back to the funeral, all the players, all the offensive linemen, they were they were really a good tight bunch. Uh, there were six or seven of them in, back at the funeral, and and they said that uh, unfortunately that was the only mistake that young man ever made in his life. Uh, he never made a mistake. He never missed an assignment in the football game. He, he never did anything wrong off the football field. He was just. And he, he just made a mistake of being in that accident that particular day and lost his life. But he was really a great, great, great person. And they, they still uh, have the, the, the award, the National Walk-On Award is uh, named after him today. I'm on the voting group of that people. His brother has sort of took over. And they they, they have a pretty good big deal out of, out of the thing to, the Rotary Club in Springdale, Arkansas, is behind it, and and he started wearing them old big old dark glasses, and 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 they started donating a lot of glasses to these young kids that that have a problem reading and can't see see well. So they do a lot of good good things through that program that, uh, because of uh, who he was and what he did. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Like I, again, the movie is called Greater, and it's it's definitely worth a watch. Um, oh yeah, so it's it's really a good movie. They, they say. I mean, uh, uh, I, again, I, I just I just don't care to watch it because it brings back too many memories, you know. One thing that's that's intriguing is um, you know you you played for Bear Bryant, and so uh-huh. probably not surprisingly, given the success he had. All of a sudden, you look at guys, you know, he had Steve Sloan on his teams and Ray Perkins, who went on to become coaches, uh, big-time college right. coaches yourself. Uh, uh, Sylvester Croom is a guy you coached when you were at Alabama. He became the Mississippi State coach. Uh, right. Gene, Gene Stallings. Gene Stallings. Uh, Curly yeah. Hall, like I said, went on to Southern Mississippi. Um, yeah. 
what what were some of the what were some of like the you know the lessons or the teachings or the style of of coach bryant that you took and you know kind of used yourself and also what did you kind of look at and say well, i'm going to do things differently than him there well you know as you uh start coaching uh, all you know is what you were brought up in under sure. and by that i mean i mean you know uh this is what he did. This is what. Now you can't you can't be Coach Bright. You're you're you're, you're nothing like him. And, and and you develop your philosophy. Your philosophy is what you were you played under and what 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 he taught you. So naturally, you copy that. And and, and then, uh, anytime you get in trouble or don't know what to do, you, you say, well, you know. I'm young and I don't know anybody in this profession that I trust, and, and I'm not sure they're not going to call Coach Bryant because <laughs> everybody was kind of uh, in awe of him and, and respected him so much they probably feared him a little bit. But but so you just go back and say, well, what would he do in this situation? And and he probably in your four-year tenure there at, at Alabama, he, he probably faced everything that you're facing, you know, at sure. one time or another. So, and then if you coach for him, which I was fortunate enough to have coached for him too, you know what he would do in a meeting or you know how he re- would react to this or whatever. And, that, and then you just, you know, just draw on the, your experience. You know, experience is a wonderful thing. It's uh, the, the best thing about getting old, you you, you want to learn more and more because when you're young, you don't think you got time to learn everything, or you think you already know everything. And as you get older, you want to, you want, you really want to learn and see what makes people tick and how people are successful at doing what they do and what makes them special or whatever. So you 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 try to learn as much as you can. So I, you know, I wish I had to had had that attitude, and I've told people. A thousand times, I wish I had just just listened half of what I did to when we were in meetings and taken notes and I, you know I got all the books and all this, but it it just you know just you know, you never realize what kind of greatness you 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 had to be under with him and and uh, it's, it was just special. I mean, it was just special I played for me. Now I was thinking today. Or yesterday, when you own a tractor for four or five hours, you have a lot of time to think by yourself. And these, you, you sit there and what would I have done different, or how would I have done this, or or whatever, you know. And uh, it's wonderful that I think that any coach worth his payday or, or a grain of salt. Uh, is how well the guys that played on there, how much they respect them and how much they come back, how much they talk to them on the phone, how much in their older age, you know. I, I think I think I yeah. sure. you, you, you show me a guy or a coach that don't, don't have a lot of ex-players talking to him or visiting with him or sending him a car or whatever it is, then I don't think I had too good of, a, of an experience in college. Fortunately for us, we had the best best experience that I could ever have dreamed of. Sure. Yeah, that's great. Well, I uh, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I, I I loved you know kind of looking at your various teams at Clemson, Arkansas over the years. I, I loved one of your quotes. You want to coach a team where the opponents don't look forward to playing you. you certainly had a lot of that. Well, man, you know that goes back to. To, to Coach Bright's philosophy too, you know, you, you have a great kicker, and you because you can win more ways in a football game kicking the football, or win the kicking game in any other way. You can return a kick, block a punt, have win on the field goal, win on extra. Six or seven ways you can win with a kicking game. You can only win by passing and running on offense and on defense. You you, you know you can get a safety. You you can do certain things, but. So your kicking game's got to come first, and then your defense. If, if they can't score, you 
back then you, we used to say all you're going to do is be 0 and 11 because you're going to tie 11. They don't even let you tie no more. So if you, if you don't let them score, you're going to win a bunch. And, and offensively, you don't beat yourself and don't turn the football over. And that was that was his whole deal. And, uh, you know, play every down. He, uh, I, I listened to uh, uh, read something or listened to something the other day on Coach Brian, and he, he had changed it a little bit. Oh, somebody sent me a, 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 a something on YouTube about him, and he said, back when we played, it was there's always three or four big plays in a football game that's going to turn the game. Mm-hmm. The only problem is you never know when they're going to occur. That's why you have to play 100% every, every play. You never loaf. You never give up. You always play because that one play or two plays or three plays is going to turn the game. Well, on the video of the day, it said there's six or seven. So the older he got, the more plays he put in there. But back when I played, it was it was three or four, and that's what I always told our kids. It was, we played it. And three or four plays in the game going to turn the game. And he never said this, but I figured this out, and he probably knew it way before I did. Every team, no matter how good or how bad you are, you're going to have a chance to win the football game, but you never know when that chance is coming. Sure, but you will be you will be given an opportunity to win the football game. The good teams they know when it comes and they take advantage. The bad teams they don't never know when it's coming. Right, yeah, that's great. Yeah, well, Danny, this is great. I, I thank you so much for yeah. coming on Chasing Hardware. Real pleasure to speak with you. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank you, and I hope hope the people can get something out of what we talked about. Maybe they can. Thank you. I look forward to meeting you in person, bud. Take care. Sounds good. See you, Danny. And thank you for listening to Chasing Hardware. I've been your host, Rich Lumello. The Michael Stanley Band brought us in, and the suburbs with Life is Like are going to take us out. Speak to you next time. Tonight, it feels like life. Come on. Life is like you.